Hi, and welcome to the Veterans Legal Lowdown, brought to you by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide. In each episode, we break down a different VA disability topic or share our take on the latest VA benefit news. This is the Veterans Legal Lowdown from Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. My name is Christian McTarnigan. My name is Elise Goloski. My name is Courtney Ross. And today we're talking about back conditions. So the first step in every case, let's jump right in, um, is service connection, Mm -hmm. right? So Elise, do you maybe want to describe Uh, broad strokes what service connection is for those viewers who might not know. Sure. So service connection is basically the classification that you get once VA agrees that your condition is related to service. You need to establish service connection before you can start receiving benefits from the VA. So um, service connection, there are three elements, right? Mm -hmm. So the first element is in-service occurrence, right? What does that mean? So it's it's basically any injury, any illness, or an event that happened in service. With with back conditions, it's usually an injury, but it could also just be um, pain that you started to notice in your back in service. Both of those two examples would qualify. All right, so that's one of the three. And then we kind of jump ahead a little bit. The second mm-hmm. is current diagnosis. Yes. Right? So you want to describe a little bit what that means? Yes. Yeah, so it's the, more complicated it than is, you might think. It is. So you, <laughs> because there are some changes in VA law recently, but um, a current diagnosis, an example of that is if you're diagnosed with arthritis. Um, but you don't actually always need to have a diagnosis now to get service connected. There is a new case called Saunders v. Wilkie, which establishes that. Um, so you could just have back pain that causes functional loss. Um, that could qualify. But So basically think of it as a current condition, a current disabling factor that you have. Um, it is definitely easier if you do have a disability, uh, but you don't technically need one. I, excuse me, a diagnosis, diagnosis, but you don't technically need one. All right, so we have the in-service occurrence, we have the current disability, what's the last element? Last element is the nexus, so that's going to be what ties those two things together. Um, Typically, you will need a medical document that is is saying that what happened to you in service is related to what you have now. All right, so we've sort of talked about um, the elements of service connection. Courtney, do you want to put it in like a real world example for us? You want to give us a hypothetical of a fact pattern that might lead to service connection for someone's back condition? Sure, absolutely. Um, So in a lot of cases we see where a veteran has actually experienced a specific injury in service. So, um, you know, maybe the veteran works on airplanes as some kind of mechanic, which means he or she is uh, climbing up on the wings of an airplane. Mm -hmm. Um, They may have fallen off the wing, resulting in a back injury in service. Um, Perhaps there's documented complaints of back pain in service or just documentation showing this injury. Mm -hmm. Um, Fast forward to today, the Mm -hmm. veteran still has complaints of back pain or an actual uh, diagnosis of a back condition. Um, And then the veteran's able to obtain either a VA examination or perhaps a private medical opinion uh, that shows that the current back diagnosis or back pain is due to that injury that he or she suffered in service of the fall off the wing of the airplane. So those are some perfect facts. So (laughs) in our practice, they don't ever quite fit uh, in that box, but that would be really great. So we're talking about back conditions in general, right? Um, So what type of back conditions? At least you mentioned arthritis. Any other common back conditions uh, that people might have from their service? Yeah, you could have maybe like a a muscle strain or a lumbar strain. Um, Or as we had said before, you could just have 
back pain that yep. doesn't have a diagnosis. Sure. I would just add too about service connection. Um, veterans can also be service connected for back conditions that maybe not are directly related to service. So it, you can also be service connected for back conditions that develop secondary to already service connected conditions. So just to give you an example to put it into context, um, if you have a veteran whose knees are already service connected for disabilities and maybe those the knee condition uh, results in the veteran having to favor one side, which means you know they have an altered gait and they've had the altered gait documented for many years. Sometimes that can lead to the development of a back condition and the veteran can also get service connection for that condition secondary to the already service-connected knees. So even though the back isn't due to an in-service event, because it's due to uh, a disability that is related to the veteran's service, service connection is still warranted. Mm-hmm. All right, so <clears throat> once you get service connected, uh, the next thing that VA is going to look at, uh, hopefully, right, is how bad is your back? Mm-hmm. How severe is it? So, Elise, you want to start off talking a little bit about how VA would rate a back disability? Yes. So, typically, what they will do is they're actually going to look at how your back disability limits your range of motion. Um, so, what is usually going to happen is you're going to attend what's called a VA examination or a compensation and pension examination, and they measure how far you can bend your back. Um, With a thing called a goyometer, right? <laughs> it's this little like protractor <laughs> device that shows literally how much you yeah. move. Anyway, there fun. are diagrams that it does. It looks just like a math um, a math yeah, test almost. So they measure how far you can bend forward. They'll measure how far you can bend from side to side. Um, and they actually have a rubric that they use based on how far you can bend to see how severe they consider what your back disability is. Um, it's not the only way they're supposed to rate your back, but that is the main way they rate how severe your back disability is. So I think you have the rating criteria right yes, in front of you. Yes, I do. So what would it be for a 10%? How limited would a veteran's range of motion have to be in order to get a 10% rating? I always have to look. I don't yeah, know what's no, top of my head. Yeah, no, because it is like a math rubric. So um, you're looking at forward flexion of the of the back greater than 60 degrees. So again, that's... and not greater than 85 degrees. So again, that's how far you can bend forward. Um, And there are also in the same diagnostic codes has to do with your neck, which is not what we're going to discuss today, but just to be aware of it's the same diagnostic code. Um, And then they combine your ratings based on how far you can move this way and move that way. Um, There's a combined range of motion for the, the back greater than 120 degrees, but not greater than 235 degrees or um, or they're looking at your muscle spasms, whether you're guarding, whether you have localized tenderness, um, whether you have an abnormal gait. Uh, so there's a lot of things that actually go into a 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why we are reading off of this is because it's so technical. Sure. Um, but another thing that you could consider with a 10% is it is also the minimum compensable rating for um, a back disability. So based on VA law, if you have back pain, even if it doesn't prevent any type of range of motion, um, under the regulations, you are you are eligible to get a minimum compensable rating, so long as it's service-connected, which is 10% sure. for the back. Um, so that's another avenue to get at least a 10%. All right, so you talked about how just having pain and a back disability can get you a 10%. The regulation is section 4.59. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've also talked about how if you literally can't move your back, 
uh, within those certain degrees, you'll be get, able to get a 10% rating. Yes. Courtney, what other ways can a veteran get rated for their back disability? Yeah, so pain is an important part of the sure. actual measurement of the limitation of motion. So uh, if a veteran, so they use forward flexion a lot as Elise just covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a veteran has forward flexion that fits that 10% rating. So greater than 60 degrees, but not greater than 85 degrees. So they can actually physically bend forward that much. However, uh, they get pain before they actually go that far. So mm-hmm. let's say, so the 20% rating here um, says that it's forward flexion greater than 30 degrees, but not greater than 60 degrees. So if the veteran could bend far enough that fits the 20, the 10% rating, but when they, um, excuse me, when they bend forward, they get pain that fits within the measurement for the 20% rating, they'd actually be entitled to that 20% rating, mm-hmm. not the 10%. Absolutely. And that's a concept referred to as functional loss. So people who, uh, veterans out there who have gotten rating decisions or board decisions, um, they might see the concept of functional loss. And that's what's trying to um, be elicited by where pain starts, right? You're supposed Mm -hmm, to get mm -hmm. rating that's consistent with how anatomically far you're able to move your back, but also how your functional abilities are limited based on your back Mm -hmm. disability. Um, So, and you also uh, alluded to... um, the fact that they're supposed to look at functional loss. Uh, one of the one of the common mistakes that I think we see in rating decisions, in uh, some of the board decisions we look at, is the board, uh, the VA's failure to consider that functional loss and going solely off how far a veteran can literally move. Yes. Um, so I'm just gonna uh, t- take a second to answer the question. Thank you for the question, Roman. Do you need constant daily pain for a 10% rating? Who wants to take it? No, you don't. Um, But you do need to have it recorded. It does need to be in the evidence. Um, But that, again, that can be through a lay statement. It doesn't need to be objectively confirmed. Um, As far as for, you know, the minimum compensable under 4.59. If you're talking about whether if you don't have a diagnosis, you do need to be able to show that that pain causes some type of functional loss. However, you can't just say you have pain. You have to say you have pain and it prevents some type of earning capacity, even if it just makes it a little bit difficult to concentrate at work, that's an example. Um, But just saying pain isn't enough. As far as how often it is, there's not a strict requirement that it has to be every day. So if I got a case where a veteran was at a zero Mm -hmm. and they said I have pain in my back, Mm -hmm. um, that would be, in my interpretation, uh, a problem with that decision for them to be at a non-compensable rating with a, let's say they have arthritis in their back. Yeah, so they that would be an issue. They need to if you have pain that's causing a functional lo- that's causing some type of functional loss, they need to give you the minimum compensable under 4.59. So, um, we talked about some of the common mistakes. I think we're going to come back to that, but one thing that I wanted to touch upon or wanted us to touch upon before we get too far into that is compensation and pension examinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, because CMP examinations are incredibly important in VA law incredibly important in how VA will rate your uh, disability. Um, so do you want to start in talking a little bit about, uh, Elise, how compensation and pension examinations work? And then, Courtney, uh, do you want to, after that, talk about what a veteran can do if they get a VA examination they don't like? Yeah, so as far as what they test? Yeah. Sure. So um, like I said, they are going to test your range of motion. They might also ask you some questions about how it affects you from day to day. Um, they are supposed to be asking you whether it causes pain on weight bearing. Um, there are some tests that they are supposed to be doing as far as that weight bearing. Sometimes that doesn't happen, um, but it should. 
they're um, they should be asking you to do both range of motion after you know just one single range of motion, and they're supposed to ask you to do it after three repetitive motions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also they are also in, it's supposed to inquire as to how um, if you get flare ups of pain and how those flare ups contribute to your functional loss. Say that when you're having a flare up, you um, you really can't move at all. That's supposed to be noted in the examination. Mm-hmm. Like I said, sometimes it's not, but it is supposed to be noted. Um, so usually it is it is both an interview style along with them actually having you do physical tasks. Um, it's typically not somebody that you've ever met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is important to um, you know, when they ask you about your pain to be truthful about yeah. it, um, don't exaggerate it, but also don't diminish it because they're, this is what the board is going to use to really rate your disability. So Courtney, let's say you go to an examination um, and you don't like the way the examination has come out, maybe for various reasons. You want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there's a few things you can do in response to an examination that y- you find to be unfavorable to the case. Um, so one, as Elise just went over, there's a number of things that VA is supposed to be recording and documenting within these VA examinations. Most of the time, they actually have a, actually have a VA form that they're using um, and checking off the information. So I think the first step is to, one, request a copy of the examination if you don't have one already, mm-hmm. and then thoroughly review what's in that examination and what the examiner has checked off. Is VA required to send a veteran a copy of their examination? Not automatically, but if you request one, they will send you one. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I was saying, thoroughly review the examination to make sure that the examiner answered all of the questions adequately in the examination and that it adequately represents what you, the veteran, feel like you reported to the examiner. Um, if you don't or there's, you know, maybe the veteran, provi- excuse me, the examiner provided an opinion um, and didn't really provide any rationale in support of why that opinion um, is noted there, you can submit an argument to VA noting and outlining for them all of the inadequacies of the examination. So maybe they didn't provide the rationale. Maybe they didn't uh, document anything about the limitations during flare-ups, as Elise covered. Um, maybe they didn't, they didn't adequately document when uh, your pain begins, when they were doing the testing on of the range of motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all <laughs> things you can look for and submit an argument to VA pointing out. You can also, in response to the examination, go out and get your own development or own evidence to submit um, in response. So you can consider lay testimony, completing a statement or an affidavit to submit to VA that outlines uh, the severity of your symptoms. um, And it can be generally, or you can specifically address the VA examination in that if you don't, again, feel like the examiner adequately um, or accurately is representing what you reported to them during the examination. You can also consider getting uh, your own private medical opinion from a treating doctor or just an independent um, expert in the field who can review your file and provide um, or do an in-person examination of you and provide a separate report that you can submit to VA, um, again, to contradict that negative VA examination. One thing to keep in mind, um, just in light of AMA or appeals reform that uh, was officially enacted back in February, the rules for when you can submit evidence um, have changed. So it depends on what review options you select um, and the timing. So not only whether you can or cannot submit evidence, but also the timing for if you can um, in certain lanes is drastically different than it was 
before February. Um, so you want to pay close attention to that and make sure that if you do need to get additional evidence and respond to respond to these examinations, that you can do so and that you select a, a lane option that will allow you to submit that to a VA. So I don't want to make uh, Alexa wait any longer. So we have another question, um, <clears throat> and I want to get your input on uh, both of your input on this. Would having an unstable knee that leads to falling be classified as a secondary condition for the back and the resulting nerve uh, uh, radiopathy or radiculopathy or some sort of nerve impairment of that? Um, so let's assume uh, that there's a service-connected knee condition first. Yes. So what do you think, Elise? Yeah, so if your, your knee condition is service-connected, um, you could potentially get service-connected for the back and then get service-connected for the radiculopathy. So sort of like a link, right? Yes. Service-connected knee caused you to fall, which hurt your back, which caused a neuro, uh, radiculopathy impairment, which caused the nerve problem, right? Yes. yes. You're going to need medical examinations that say that this is – you know that make that or actual some sort nexus of medical evidence, something yeah. that's medical um unfortunately you know your attorney can't just say that and as a lay person you can't just say that but it is a theory so long as you get medical evidence to back it up that you could get service connected for both you would first have to get the back and then you could get the radiculopathy anything to add Courtney? no i think that perfectly sums it up great so um we're jumping around a little bit we started talking about it's hard to talk about all of this in isolation we started started talking about some of the um common mistakes mm -hmm. uh, that CMP examiners uh, may make, some some of the, I'm um, sorry, uh, common mistakes that VA may make. One of them was not considering functional loss. Courtney, can you think of any others that you see commonly in your practice? Yeah, so like you said, one of them is not considering uh, functional loss. Another one I see frequently is where there are multiple theories of service connection that the veteran has raised and the examiner has been asked to specifically address. So as an example, direct service connection, which we know over the beginning, um, and possibly secondary service connection or service connection through aggravation. Um, and a lot of the times the examiners will be asked to provide an opinion on each specific specific theory, um, and they'll only provide it on direct service connection, and they'll kind mm -hmm. of ignore explaining why secondary or aggravation are not possible routes of service connection here. Um, and then oftentimes the VA adjudicators will just see that no in the examinations and again provide the same type of rationale for denying service connection. Okay. Um, and a, you know, a discussion of causation is not the same as addressing ag possibly aggravation as a root of theory. Sure. Theory of service connection, excuse me. Sure, and aggravation just means maybe, maybe makes it worse or, or causes it, right? There are two different ways mm -hmm. that something can be aggravated. Mm -hmm. yep. Aggravated and causing, aggravated and making worse, right? And that's yes. often something that gets confused mm -hmm. or um, overlooked. <clears throat> Anything else to add, Elise? Um, you, it, I think we did touch on it a little bit before, but one a big common mistake is both between the board and on the examiner not just looking at your your literal range of motion but noting where your pain starts on yeah. that range of motion and and also the board noting that and taking that into account um because they the in a lot of board decisions you'll see they'll say yes he had pain at um you know 110 degrees but he could he could rotate all the way to 120. Well, they're supposed to be stopping at that 110, and those are mm -hmm. just examples. Um, so 
that's a very common mistake. Another is um, it is also in a VA examination if they say that they're not going to opine on flare-ups just because it's based on speculation. Um, a recent case called Sharp has said that they need to, you know, provide more information. They need to look back into their records and determine what your real uh, functional loss on flare-up would be, not just say that you're not undergoing a flare-up during the examination. Because you're not required to have a flare-up during right. an examination. Right. And the examiner is not required to get you into a state of flare, thankfully, yes. um, during the examination. But they're supposed to consider what your life and your occupational yeah. life would be like if you were uh, in a flare-up. And that's definitely worth reiterating because those are the two, uh, everything that you guys mentioned are some of the biggest mm -hmm. errors that I see time and time again. And one way that they can figure out how, <clears throat> you know, limiting your flare-ups are, are simply to ask you. They can just ask. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes they don't. They just note that you're not undergoing a flare-up and move on to the next question on the form. So that's an error. So we're circling back to something that Courtney had touched on. Roman has a question again. Um, so how soon after a CMP exam can um, a veteran request the notes? And who do you ask? Uh, your local regional office. You can send them a letter or call them up and just request a, a copy of the examination through them. Um, and it's, it's very shortly after the exam. So as soon as they have a copy of it, they should be able to provide you one. So I would say just a matter of days. And um, sort of... Expounding a little bit more on uh, what uh, Lex's question brought up is the concept of secondary service connection. Um, so that was sort of a, a, a knee condition that lay, leads to a back condition that leads mm -hmm. to a neurological condition. Mm -hmm. um, if you have a service-connected back condition, how would uh, what would another example of secondary service connection be, Elise? Sure. So a, a good example is depression. Um, if you're in chronic pain, a lot of people tend, or some other type of psychiatric disability. Um, a lot of people tend to actually get have some psychological symptoms mm -hmm. associated with chronic pain. Um, now, this could be you actually your two. It could be twofold. Either your back causes depression, or it could aggravate um, a depression that you have already had, or PTSD that you already had. Um, there's two different avenues, uh, but both of those could get you serv secondary service connected for that uh, psychiatric disability. Um, Can so, you think of another example? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Sorry. Sure. Another example, Courtney? Um, I think depression depression's probably the one that okay. we see most mm -hmm. frequently. Um, yeah. yeah. A another example too, I mean, it's similar to what you said with the knees causing the back. The back could cause a cervical spine disability. Mm -hmm. Or um, if you have to sleep on your back a certain way, um, you know that could that could mess with your neck, or maybe it could mess with your shoulder. Sure. Um, so you could get physical disabilities. No, it doesn't it doesn't have to it doesn't have to cause the disability so long as it aggravates the disability. Could make it worse. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, radiculopathy. I know Lexa already used that example, but that's another one we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, one that you might not suspect is. Uh, Obviously, back conditions can be incredibly painful. Uh, there's some pretty serious uh, medications that can be mm -hmm. prescribed for back conditions. And those very serious medications can cause stomach and GI issues. Yep. So if and liver you issues. 
have exactly if you have a service connected back disability and you're taking I don't, I'm not a pharmacist or a doctor yeah. but taking something like an opioid a very mm -hmm. strong opioid that can cause other problems and you can be service connected for those other problems because you have to take that pain medication mm -hmm. because of your back disability and that medication is causing uh, a different uh, uh, form of impairment so um, that's something else to, to keep in mind because mm -hmm. it seems you know it's a little bit more separated um, than some of the other examples we yeah. were giving so um, Courtney, what happens if you're hospitalized for your back disability? How does that work under VA law? Yeah, so if you're hospitalized for your back disability for over 21 days, um, you can apply to VA for what's called a, a temporary total disability. And I'm asking Courtney because she practices on our agency practice. This doesn't come up that much in my practice, so I thought that she knew the rule. Yeah, so you have to be hospitalized for at least 21 days, meaning on the 22nd day is when you would be eligible for this benefit. Um, so, and you need to apply for VA, to VA specifically for mm -hmm. this. They will not automatically just grant the benefit. Um, so on that 22nd day, uh, you can be granted a temporary total rating of 100% for the rest of your hospitalization um, and possibly continuing after depending on how VA assesses the severity of your back condition after discharge. But the temporary total rating should uh, be in place for the rest of your hospitalization. And what happens once you're released? VA will do an assessment for how severe your back condition is now that you've been released and then they'll reassign you a rating. Um, again, because the 100% is just a temporary rating and that'll be specifically indicated when or if they grant you that. Great. So one of the things I forgot to mention but I want to mention quickly um, before we move on is uh, secondary service connection, you always need to be thinking about this concept in VA law called pyramiding, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a back disability um, and it causes depression, but you're already service connected for depression. Um, let's assume that it doesn't make your depression worse, right? <laughs> you can't get uh, two ratings for the same symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so you just have to be thinking about that uh, when VA is sending you a decision on an issue or you're asking for compensation. Mm -hmm. um, VA would be would consider that getting paid for uh, symptoms of depression twice, mm -hmm. which isn't allowed under VA law. Um, so. Uh, back to the back disability ratings, Elise, what's the highest rating that you get, you can possibly get for your back? And what's maybe a more common rating that you see in your practice? Yeah, so um, the highest that you can get actually is a scheduler 100%, uh, but that requires an entire um, unfavorable ankylosis of the entire spine. Um, so we don't see that very common. Um, what is ankylosis? Ankylosis is, is essentially when your spine is becomes fused. Yep. Um, so you would have absolutely no movement in the back or, or really at all yeah. um, because it's your entire spine. So that's your C-spine all the way down to the very end of your lumbar spine. Uh, so we don't see that very often. Mm -hmm. That's the scheduler 100%. What I see more often is a 40% rating, um, which is the highest that you would get when you still do have limitation of motion. It's just very limited. Um, there are some other ratings that you can get uh, for having different um, symptoms. For example, if you have um, incapacitating episodes, you can get up to a 60% for that. Um, again, those incapacitating episodes for a 60%, you would have to be incapacitated, basically bedridden for six weeks, which is a, it's a significant amount of time. It's a very long time. Um, so that's yeah. why I tend to see more of a 40% rating than a 60%, uh, but it, those are available. 
So, Courtney, let's assume that uh, a veteran has a 40% rating for mm -hmm. their low back disability or their back condition, um, but they can't work because of it. What now? Yeah, so a veteran, if the back condition in, uh, affects them enough where they are precluded from working, a veteran could apply for what's called total disability based upon individual unemployability, or TDIU. Um, and if granted TDIU, it's a 100% rating, so meaning the veteran would be paid at 100% rating okay. each month. Um, and normally back conditions, um, if you're rated at 40%, it is in real life, the functional loss is very limiting. Sure. Um, and oftentimes there will be good evidence to show that the veteran can't mm -hmm. work in a substantially gainful capacity. Um, and so again, you would need to develop the evidence to show that. So lay testimony can be very helpful if the veteran can describe specifically how the back condition uh, affected them previously when they were working or how it affects them now um, to the extent that they wouldn't be able to go back to work. Um, medical evidence again from either a private treating doctor um, or VA treatment notes or an outside medical opinion um, again specifically outlining how that back condition would impact the veteran um, in terms of employability limitations and explaining why they would be precluded from working in a substantially gainful capacity and if you can show that to VA, you can still get a 100% rating. It's just a different avenue to doing it yep. without using the rating criteria that VA has outlined for the back. Yeah, absolutely. Anything to add, Elise? No, I, I think that is a, a good thing to remember, actually, for any type of disability. It is definitely harder across the board to get a scheduler 100% than it is to get TDIU. Um, I know we're not speaking about this today, but PTSD, for example, you have to be very severely disabled in P um, with your psychiatric disorder to get 100% scheduling. Well, same with the but you might not be able to work. Same with the complete of the spine. unfavorable That's ankylosis. Very yeah. So, um, when an easier, it's not easy, but an easier avenue tends to be TIU mm -hmm. um, to get a 100% disability rating uh, than to get a scheduler because. Remember, with those schedulers, they're only looking at um, a very mechanical application of um, of your back versus how your back actually impacts you in your day-to-day -day life and your ability to work. Well, I think we've covered everything. Are there any last thoughts or anything left unsaid before we wrap up? No, I think the TDIU uh, part is actually a perfect place to, to leave off because, like you said, I think that's especially important to remember and keep in mind so that uh, you can make sure that you're getting the highest rating that you're actually entitled to based on your functional law. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a question uh, from Tom. Uh, I found doctors who do not want to do a nexus letter. What should I do? Is it... I, I mean, I guess it depends on the specifics of your case um, sure. in terms of if, if it's your treating doctor or uh, an outside expert opinion. Um, you obviously can't force uh, medical experts to provide an opinion that they're uncomfortable doing. Yep. Um, I would maybe suggest trying a second opinion if you haven't sure. done so already, maybe seeking out um, someone else who maybe is familiar with VA law or who is a, an expert in that um or an orthopedic expert if we're talking about a back condition to see if a second opinion changes anything. Sure. I mean, also, uh, like like we said, like you alluded to, we don't know what condition we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But in some instances, explaining in a lay statement, um, and, and this is this is limited applicability, uh, how your how you believe that your condition mm -hmm. is related to mm -hmm. service. Um, sometimes that can be sufficient. Uh, there's a lot of veteran friendly rules that go into or are supposed to go into adjudicating veterans claims. Um, so that might potentially be another avenue um, that you could pursue. Mm -hmm. One other avenue too. Um 
is if you are diagnosed with um, arthritis, there is a you do have a potential to be able to establish specifically for arthritis to establish what's called um, continuity of symptomatology. Um, you would have yep. to have started experiencing your back pain in service and have continuously experienced it since your eventual arthritis diagnosis. So this. Um, it's a regulation, it's 3.303B. It's an alternative avenue to service connection, but again, it's only for, as far as back's con concerned, it's only for arthritis. So if you have a lumbar strain, that wouldn't yeah. qualify for this regulation. And it's a hard, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard, hard. burden to yeah. overcome, but it is absolutely legally correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for all the questions, uh, Lexa, Roman, and Tom. That Those are all really great. It makes for a nice, active conversation. Um, but I think we're all set over here. So I just want to say thank you for watching and uh, signing off from Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick. This episode of the Veterans Legal Lowdown was produced by Chisholm, Chisholm, and Kilpatrick, a law firm representing veterans nationwide in the VA Disability Plan. If you're interested in a free case evaluation with CCK, give us a call at 844-549-4500 or visit our website at cck-law.com.